The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. 2017 is going to be a volatile economic year. We may see politicians throughout the world attempting to control central bank policies. Several renowned financial analysts have warned that political interference in central bank policies may mean our economic misses of inflation and growth targets. Gold is an international currency that can't be issued or controlled by governments. If you don't have the only hard currency that has outlasted every politician and every failed idea of governments for centuries, you need to speak to Goldline right now and learn how easy it is to add gold to your portfolio or IRA. Now is the time to diversify your financial portfolio by adding gold. Call 1-800-913-GOLD. Buying real gold is easy and fast at Goldline. And you're going to be happy that you finally made the call. 1-800-913-4653. Goldline also offers price protection against short-term market fluctuations on qualifying purchases. So buy with confidence. Read Goldline's important risk information and find out if buying gold is right for you. Call Goldline. 1-800-913-4653. Prepare yourself to ingest current events, pop culture, and politics with a side of Latin flair. Batches. I don't have to show you any stinking batches. This is the Chris Salcedo Show on the Blaze Radio Network. All the places I have gone, the things that I have seen. Hey, everybody, welcome to the Chris Salcedo Show. I um, am back from... A mini vacation. Ellen, do we have best of on Friday, or was there, was, uh, do we have a guest host in? We had a, a best of. A be, it was best of? Okay. I didn't, I didn't know. I thought we were going to have um, uh, uh, an actual live body. But I'm glad you uh, folks were at least had the show with us uh, somewhat symbolically on Friday. I had, I, I had a trip to California. I'll tell you all about that coming up here in a minute. Uh, meantime, getting in touch with the program, easy to do. Call the Chris Salcedo Show at 888-933-93. That's 888 888- Nine zero zero three three nine three. Presidents overseas, folks. Presidents doing some um, some things that have never been done by an American president. You wouldn't know it because you watch the majority of the basket of bias, and <laughs> all they can talk about is what's happening back here at home, and uh, a bunch of you know rumor and speculation about what Trump has allegedly or his team has allegedly done with absolutely no proof. A year later, and still. No proof. Oh, we all know when James Comey's going to be testifying. That ought to be fun. Uh, SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher. That's where uh, you can find this program on demand. Listening live is easy. Catch the show live at blaze.com slash radio, the Blaze Radio smartphone app, or the iHeartRadio app. On social media, at Chris Salcedo TX, at C-H-R-I-S-S-A-L-C-E-D-O-T-X, as in Texas. On Facebook, the Chris Salcedo Show, and... Now, on the Facebook page, you can actually catch up with the email as well. There's actually a button that says, I want to drop an email. And that's how you drop an email. Go to the blaze.com and the channels section and follow us there as well. Blaze.com channels section features highlights, if you will, of the show. Uh, you know, <laughs> I was visiting my family uh, out there in Southern California. For those of you who don't know, Texas is not my point of origin. I am originally a Californian. And San Diego, Californian. And I have relatives that live in, in, uh, in Los Angeles. So I, uh, I headed that way for a graduation. And I, after, the, after we talk a little bit about uh, the, uh, the flip around here, we'll, I'll tell you about my, my flight experience. I have more than a, a few beefs for these individuals. You know how you hear these stories about people that are kept on tarmacs for 
you know, a couple hours and it's just absolute misery. That happened to me. It, it's one thing to talk about and go, oh my gosh, those poor people. It's quite another to experience it yourself. So I have questions and more than a few gripes. And you guys heard that uh, Vice President Pence had something happen to him and uh, at the commencement ceremony he was attending and speaking at. Well, I had I had an experience, too, and I'll share all of it with you coming up. But let's get into the flip around. For those of you new to the program, flip around is when we look at what's happening, what all the cable talkers are talking about. And uh, right at the top of the list, the leader of the basket of liberal bias. That is CNN. Let's see what they're talking about. Things from America. They're not going to criticize him. They're going to flatter him. They're going to praise him. Uh, you know, the, the mistake was made. In fact, you know, uh, President Trump kind of awkwardly confirmed that it was Israel that was the country that uh, that had been talked about in that in that situation by saying I didn't mention the name Israel. He was, he was in a sense confirming it a sense. that yeah. it was Israeli intelligence that he had been talking about. Um, but look, no, it, 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 uh, in case you guys are just tuning in, this is what um, Fareed Zakaria, uh, the man who said that the president of the United States got to where he was by BSing. And he didn't use the word BSing. We had to we had to bleep out this potty mouthed pseudo intellectual over at uh, the basket of bias CNN. Anyway, here's what Trump uh, said uh, today. I never mentioned the word or the name Israel. Never mentioned it during that conversation. They were all saying I did. So you had another story wrong. Never mentioned the word Israel. So he's asked a question about giving away secrets, and here's President Trump saying, "I never mentioned the word Israel." Now, Fareed Zakaria over the leader of the basket of bias, CNN, says, oh, that's pseudo admitting that it was Israel. Huh? (laughs) Oh, okay. Trump says, it's another story you got wrong. I never mentioned Israel. That was the reporting that came out of the New York Times. But I never mentioned Israel. Uh, So, uh, and Fareed Zakaria said, well, he halfway admitted that. Uh, Okay, well, you guys can hear that. Right there in the soundbite, if, if that's what Fareed Zakaria's takeaway is. Hey, if it's bashing Trump, Fareed Zakaria is all about it. Let's go over to, um, let's go over to MSNBS. And, and uh, uh, the Islamic uh, Jihad mm-hmm. and uh, Al-Qaeda and ISIS are all Sunni. Yet at the same time, Iran, with which Israel used to have, yeah, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, an alliance of sorts. Right. Um, Iran is Shiite, so so we're we're in a uh, vortex uh, uh, right here in the Middle East. But to to choose sides, as Prime Minister Netanyahu is trying, and I think this is a major major flaw in his understanding of the region, to draw some kind of Israel stands with a moderate Sunni coalition versus the extremist Shiites uh, is going to backfire. Right, to draw a coalition between moderate Muslims and extremist Muslims might be a better. Argument. That, that's that's the uh, that's the winning argument. That's the winning argument. Oh, that's the winning argument. Yes. Yeah, so when Barack Obama was was throwing his support behind Shia in Iran and showing where uh, committing your taxpayer dollars and committing his administration to kissing the rear end of the Ayatollah Khomeini and his lackeys. Oh, that was okay. That you know that that was fine. It's, it's okay to choose sides. You know, and you know what? He just called them extremists, not radicalized Islamic fundamentalist extremists. Just, gosh, these people are so duplicitous. Trump gets over there, and may, and you know what? I got to admit, he was very warmly greeted by the Saudis. And we're going to talk with um, Herb London here at the bottom of the uh, bottom of the hour. 
and ask him, I don't remember a past U.S. president being greeted so warmly by some of the Sunnis in the region. And I don't know that you get that, that warmth and welcoming attitude, if you hadn't had Barack Obama enriching and ingratiating himself to the number one state sponsor of terror in the region and making sure they have nuclear weapons. Let's get over quickly to Fox. The prime minister has made it very clear he's not going to allow what happened to either mar this visit or interfere with what has been a profoundly important relationship between our intelligence services. This is something that serves the interests of the United States and Israel together. It's not serving only one the interests of one side. So there's no doubt that he'll, he'll give it directions for that to continue. My guess is there probably will be some discussions within the, uh, between our intelligence services about guidelines, uh, what happens in terms of sharing, what are expectations uh, from here on out, and probably also some discussions within Israel itself between the intelligence services there, Mossad, uh, and the prime minister. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, Ambassador Ross, it's nice to see you again. Thank you. They're talking about what Trump talked about with Sergei Lavrov. You know, and, and then it wasn't just this bit of intelligence that was allegedly shared that allegedly, and I have to say allegedly because I'm more fair than the majority of the basket of bias, but uh, allegedly shared by Trump with the Russians that allegedly was provided by the Israelis. Trump saying, I never mentioned the word Israel. So all, and, and, Naturally, he was making uh, reference to all of the reporting, which he called false, which claimed to definitively say, oh, yes, Mr. Uh, Mr. Trump, president of the United States, indeed did mention Israel or did confirm that it was Israeli intelligence. And according to uh, the president of the United States, I never even mentioned the word Israel. So that's where we are. Uh, this just breaking, folks, who is the source? Of course, the Associated Press. Um, uh, Mr. Flynn, General Michael Flynn. He, of course, was a member of two administrations. First, the Obama administration. He was the uh, director of the Defense Intelligence Agency, the DIA, under resident Obama. And then for a short time, a very short-lived time, he was the national security advisor for President Trump. He has officially invoked Fifth Amendment privilege. He has invoked the Fifth. So, uh, and also he's turned down a invitation, an invitation to the Senate Intelligence Committee who wanted him to testify before their committee. He said, nope, not going to do that. And I'm going to take the Fifth, which is never good. So you've got a, a person here that has belonged to two administrations trusted for a, a good many years during resident Obama's administration and and uh, took what Trump a matter of weeks to fire him uh, that's that's the record now there are many who would who observe well why did you why did you hire him to begin with if you knew all of these problems existed with Mr. Flynn well it's not immediately clear that they that they that they were evident uh, I do have serious questions about about his lobbying efforts for Turkey. And um, so that there are some serious questions I believe need to be answered in that regard. But we know, courtesy of James Comey, that the conversation that took place between Mr. Flynn and 
Ambassador Kislyak, the Russians Ambassador Kislyak, nothing was improper. Nothing that was uttered was improper. Now, I mentioned this briefly at the top, and I, I won't get too hot and heavy into this, but after Memorial Day, which is next week, Director, former Director James Comey will testify before Congress. And the rumor mill is out there generating. I'm not sure it's, this is what he's going to do. But the rumor mill is out there generating this idea that James Comey will try to, to allege that Donald Trump tried to stop the investigation between his campaign and Russia. Possible collusion. Problem is, that meeting allegedly took place on February 14th. Remember that memo that none of us have seen? That Congressman Al Green, uh, that idiot, took to the, the floor of the Congress to demand impeachment on a letter he had never even seen? <laughs> so, at any rate, that was February 14th on Valentine's Day. Um, little less than a month later, James Comey was in front of Congress under oath saying that um, he had he had never been asked to stop any investigation. So if Comey comes out now after he was fired and alleges, hey, somebody tried to, uh, Trump tried to get me to stop the investigation, well, which time did Mr. Comey perjure himself? Was it May 3rd? Or will it be his testimony after Memorial Day? Oh, by the way, we have the soundbite. From May 3rd, when James Comey was asked directly, have you, you know, you've been asked to stop these investigations? And he says, nope, flatly denies it. Not, nobody's, nobody's asked. Uh, more to come, folks. Uh, we'll talk to Herb London at the bottom of the hour. I'll tell you about my, my flight to California and what I saw when I got off the plane. Back in a minute, the Salcedo Show, right here on The Blaze. Keep up with the Chris Salcedo Show on Facebook and on Twitter at Chris Salcedo TX. Just another way to stay in touch with Chris on the Blaze Radio Network. Are you worried about your mom or dad living alone in their house? Hi, I'm Joan London. Listen, I know how difficult it is to find senior care for someone you love. That's why I recommend a free service called A Place for Mom. They are the nation's largest senior living referral service. Call A Place for Mom today. To receive free information on senior living communities in your area, call A Place for Mom at 1-800-803-6951. Chris Salcedo is on the Blaze Radio Network. So, as I mentioned uh, briefly in the opening stanza of the program, I uh, took a trip out to the People's Republic of California, my former home state. Jumped on an airplane and, well, first off, here's how the trip started. Some pretty nasty weather rolling through the airport in Texas that I was taking off from. And the forecasters, since earlier in the day, had been forecasting this weather event. So the, the plane was a little late to begin with. Jump on the plane, get loaded up, head out of the tarmac, and then we're in a holding pattern because apparently a lot of other flights are being diverted around this 
this storm complex that's moving in. So we sit there and we sit there. We sit there about a half an hour. Nothing happening. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, just uh, hang tight. We're waiting for some clearance from the tower. Okay, so we sit tight. About half an hour goes by. I'm like, what's going on? That captain jumps on the intercom. Uh, yeah, folks. Uh, looks like we got some weather moving through. And uh, we're going to... Uh, just wait our turn. Uh, we got a whole bunch of aircraft in the air uh, avoiding this uh, the weather coming in, and we're going to be here about uh, uh, 45 minutes. 45 minutes? It's like, uh, so an additional. So right around an hour and a half, we're waiting on the tarmac. And, of course, Mrs. Salcedo says, man alive, they couldn't see on the radar this storm moving in? Now, we could have, on the pilot addressed this, we could uh, we could go back to the uh, terminal, but uh, we'd lose our place in line for takeoff. It's, it's, wait, well, couldn't there be a more organized way of doing that? And, I, and I'm not proposing a law. I'm not trying to give more regulation to the airlines. I'm just saying maybe the airports pass this rule. If we've got if we've got weather moving in, why don't just why don't everybody stay put in the terminal and then file out accordingly to your once the, uh, you know, once a storm passes, file out according to your original departure time. It's just, <clears throat> man, there's got to be, uh, uh, sitting in the terminal would have been very much preferential to sitting on the tarmac for an hour, an hour and a half. Now, they were kind enough to come along with water, which was, which was okay, I suppose. But again, it's cramped. You got everybody... They had to shut down the engines so you didn't have, you know, full tilt AC blowing through. You just had cooler air or just air circulating, basically, and it got a little warm. It wasn't hot, but it was, you know, it just got stuffy. And you got that for a whole hour and a half, just waiting, just waiting to take off. It just got me thinking, man, a lot. It's you hear all these horror stories on tarmacs, people waiting, you know, you know, two, three hours. I guess I got off lucky at an hour and a half, but two, three hours on the tarmac and people are just grumpy and upset and I don't blame them. There's got to be, there's got to be a better way to do that, especially with our modern radar technology. If you've got a storm front moving in, don't load people up. Keep them in the terminal where they can stretch their legs and uh, use... The, the facilities or go grab a drink or go grab some food, you know, that kind of thing inside of the terminal. So that's how our, tra- and you know what? My, my wife, she brings on the iPad, a movie to watch and uh, the flight from Texas to California, roughly three hours heading against the jet stream, heading out West. So which movie, Ellie, if you, what, what's, what's a, a and I, I like this movie. I don't want to call it a chick flick because I think it had a pretty good blending of action and romance. What uh, what movie do you think that you can remember that lasted three hours? Epic. I'll even give you a hint. Epic movie lasted three hours. Titanic. Titan. <laughs> good guess, but no. Was Titanic three hours? Did it last three hours? Yeah. Okay. Who? That was Waldo who said that, wasn't it? <laughs> no. Was that Waldo who said it? No. Who said it? It was Christian. It was Chris. Christian, how the heck do you know that? <laughs> now that is a chick flick. 
Okay? The Titanic is a chick flick with Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> the the pseudo chick flick, which I think there's plenty of action sequences for guys that they can enjoy it, directed by Michael Bay, it's Pearl Harbor. Pearl Harbor goes about three hours. So the entire trip would have been taken up by watching this video. So my wife's ticked off that we're an hour and a half into the movie that she had started uh, before we took off. And he's like, it's like, man, and now we're taking off and already halfway, more than halfway through the movie. And that didn't, and then that, that couldn't get her all the way through. So she had to, to try to find some, some stuff that did download before we boarded the plane. And none of the episodes from some of her, her Showtime stuff had downloaded. So she was watching <laughs> stuff my kids had downloaded. <laughs> there's, there's my grown wife watching Hotel uh, Transylvania. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and that's when I stopped watching. I said, like, no, you can go ahead and do that. I'll read over here. Um, anyhow, once I got to California... I attended a graduation ceremony, and I'll tell you what I saw there, and we'll let you know what happened to VP Pence, his graduation experience. But first, let's talk about Trump's trip overseas, historic trip overseas. Coming up, Salcedo Show, right here on The Blaze. Be right back. The Chris Salcedo Show, part of Generation Blaze, only on The Blaze Radio Network. The Chris Salcedo Show. And here you go, a historic moment. The president putting his hand to the Western Wall, becoming the first U.S. sitting president in history to do that. And then the cameras start going off wildly. That was, of course, commentary from one of the basket of biases. I think that was um, MSNBS today that even they couldn't ignore with any credibility this overseas trip by by President Trump. Oh, the camera. This is histor- historic, folks. The cameras wouldn't stop clicking. Remarkable moment. Yep. Uh, regardless of what we what you think about the politics all around it, this is the first president to go to one of the holiest sites in the world for the Jewish people. Uh, must be an emotional moment for Jared Kushner there. Jared Kushner, of course, a practicing, uh, someone who practices the Jewish faith, practicing Jew. And as a matter of fact, Ivanka, is my understanding, converted, converted to uh, Judaism when she married Mr. Kushner. So uh, very impactful for the Trump family. Uh, Trump didn't take Bibi Netanyahu along, even though it was requested that he might be along for that. Mr. Trump wanted to make it a a prayerful moment, and as you could tell, rather historic. Let's talk more about this, about the significance of the trip in Toto. Uh, this is the second leg of this trip. Actually, if you want to be technical about it, this is the the second leg because there's, there's actually a total of four. We'll talk about it with Herb London, president of the London Center for Policy Research. He's responsible for creating the Gallatin School of Individualized Study in 1972, was its dean until 92. Mr. London is a graduate of Columbia University and the recipient of a Ph.D. from New York University. He's appeared in every major newspaper and journal in our nation, also an author and a playwright. Mr. London, welcome back to The Salcedo Show. 
Well, Chris, thank you very much. Thank you. I appreciate it. The significance of of Mr. Trump doing what he did at the Western Wall. Tell uh, tell the Salcedo Show listeners why this is such a big deal and why he was the first president to do it. Well, first of all, I think there is a, there's a big deal on several fronts. If you look at the ecology of this trip, what it all means, the atmospherics associated with it, this is truly a historic moment. What President Trump is doing is he is undoing the damage of the last eight years. He's saying to the Sunni nations, we've got your back. You could not rely on the United States in the past. I assure you, the world is going to look very differently for you. And we will put together a defense condominium, assist you with a defense condominium that will allow you to fight terrorism and, of course, deal with the, the uh, ambitions of the Iranians and their desire for an imperial empire in the Middle East. This is a very, very significant development. And with the, the member of this defense condominium that has not been identified, but obviously will play a role, is Israel. So if you look at it and, you know, you think about the Egypts and the, and the Saudi Arabians and the Bahrains and the, and the Jordans that will participate, you also have to realize that Israel will be an unannounced but clearly a member of this defense, this defense group. So it is a truly historic movement a truly historic event, and I think Trump deserves an awful lot of commendation. There are people in the United States who will insist, oh, this is merely a distraction from the difficulties that he's facing with the powder keg that has opened up, that has exploded in Washington. I assure you that this trip has been planned for some time. It goes back to the origins of the administration. I had spent a little time talking to people about the so-called Arab and NATO. So, you know, we at the London Center like to think we've played a minor role in this matter as well. There is no doubt, however, that this is a crossroads, a very significant development that is occurring in American foreign policy. I can recall the moment when I chatted with uh, President Sisi of Egypt, and he looked at me and he said quite sincerely, you know, I went to Carlisle. I was trained at Carlisle in Pennsylvania, and I love America, but America doesn't love me. What he was saying is that the Obama administration cannot be relied on. The Obama promised Obama promised him Apache helicopters that would be delivered to fight the war in the Sinai. They were not delivered. They sat in Fort Hood, Texas. And so this is a very different era, a new chapter. And I think that the excitement that you could see on the face of Sisi and the crown prince, were clearly that was clearly palpable. Yeah, you know, as a matter of fact, before we get to his visit to Israel today, which is as we already articulated at the top, historic. Let's 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 dial it back to his trip to Saudi Arabia, and some of the reaction that was coming out over the weekend. Here's Kim, uh, Kim Stossel on Fox News Sunday, uh, commenting on why the Sunni Arab states uh, may now be ready to combat radicalized Islamic fundamentalist terrorism, and why they're so giddy about. President Trump's visit. Listen to her analysis. You know, though, Kim, we've seen other presidents make this kind of effort to try to unite the Muslim world against the savages. They get lip service, but then behind the scenes, a lot of these Muslim leaders, whether it's for payoffs or for whatever reason, continue to fund radicalism. What makes you think this time will be any different? So I think what makes a difference is eight years of a, a lack of leadership from the Obama administration in which things really disintegrated there. And so what you see is all of these kinds country attending this summit have come to understand that allowing Iran to get moved toward nuclear weapons uh, has also allowed them to begin meddling more in all of these other countries through surrogates. Whether So basically what she's saying that there would not be this unprecedented open door for Trump 
uh, there wouldn't be this elation from the Sunnis in the region if Barack Obama hadn't committed American taxpayer money and committed so many so much money and resources to making the Shia Iranians a nuclear power to lord over the region. And and they they are, they are now eager to do whatever the United States wants just so that that Iran doesn't become the the regional hegemon. What do you think about that? Well, I think she's got it exactly right. I mean, there is no doubt that what is being put in place is a counterweight to whatever ambitions the Iranians have. They've already created what is ostensibly an empire. And so now what you're saying, seeing in the Sunni world is they saying, well, look, we're not going to tolerate this. We don't have nuclear weapons. We could obtain nuclear weapons, but we are going to rely on the American nuclear umbrella. But we want to know that the United States is there for us. This was not true in the last eight years. The tilt toward Iran and the virtual vacuum that was created with a precipitous withdrawal of American forces from Iraq clearly suggested that we had a very different policy orientation. That is now changing, changing in a direction that I consider quite appropriate and then many others consider quite appropriate. So I do think that this is an essential and first very important step toward stabilizing events in the Middle East. You know, uh, by the way, Herb London is our guest right now, folks, here on the Chris Salcedo Show. He is with the London Center for... Uh, uh, I just I was I was going to give you a different biography there. <laughs> I was going to give well, you London I, Center for Policy Research, but that's fine. Yeah, the, the London Center for Policy Research. I was going to give you. I was going to say another London Center that is that is in our orbit, but <laughs> uh, I apologize. I have I got my London centers mixed up. Anywho, um, as as you watched this, the body language today of Trump over in Israel and uh, the. And because you made allusion to this, uh, Mr. London, the fact that back here at home, you you, you called it a powder keg exploding. I I just look at it as a bunch of those those fireworks, those little graffiti fireworks. It really are. There's there's a lot of show there, but there's no there there. There's no explosion because there's nothing there's nothing to base this on. But all of the political turmoil created by the Democrats back here at home and and Israel happened to be a, a somewhat of a part of that in this allegation put out there by the New York Times that Trump spilled the beans on some Israeli-provided intelligence. Did you see any evidence of that today on display? On the contrary. If you looked at the body of language, it appears as though these two guys, that Netanyahu and Trump, are friendly, that they care about one another. Very, very different from the attitude that you could see when Obama was president of the United States. Obviously, the tension between the two clearly was was very evident if you just watch them engage in a debate together. So I think that things have changed. Israel is far more confident about the future, in large part because Trump is president. Whether the embassy will be created in Jerusalem or not, and I think it should be and probably will be, but maybe the timing for it isn't right at the moment. But I can also assure you that after meeting with the Saudi leaders uh, over the over the weekend, Trump came away saying, you know, I realize they don't give a damn about the Palestinian question. They're far more interested in the Iranian question. That's the issue in the Middle East today. Not whether Palestine is going to get a state or Palestine will have appropriate representation, but largely whether or not the Iranians will continue to move from Sana'a to Damascus to uh, uh, Tehran. That's the issue. And I think that if you understand that, you will understand what has changed in the, in the mind of the Middle Eastern leaders. Uh, he is the president of the London Center for Policy Research, folks. Herb London, our guest right now. So let's... Uh, let's just pivot back here briefly to home. Uh, there, there seems to be uh, a, a, an explosion on the po- one political side of the aisle uh, because one gets the sense that that is all that that side of the aisle has. 
which is to innuendo, speculation, and now we're coming up on a year, uh, Mr. London, of the FBI investigating alleged ties uh, between the Trump campaign and collusion with Russia, and a special counsel has now been appointed. Where, where do you see this all going? Well, I, I see it having a very negative effect on American politics. And it may be the unraveling of political parties, with both the Democratic and Republican parties suffering. I mean, keep in mind that in the book Shattered, which deals with the failure of the, the Hillary Clinton campaign, she, in that book, after she lost the race, said, you know, we can undermine the Trump administration by relying on the Russian gambit. So clearly this has been a strategy on the part of the left. I have described this as the second American revolution. These people are relentless. They want to undermine Trump. They'll do anything in their power to do so. And it's also clear that whatever policy perspective is introduced, whether it's reforms on health care or tax reform or immigration reform, the left is going to be opposed. They're going to say fascism has come to America. God knows what else. But there is no doubt what you have is a systematic effort to undermine this administration. And it is very sad because you want to have two parties and certainly a loyal opposition. But the loyalty in that equation no longer exists. Yeah. And let me ask you this. uh, uh, Look into your crystal ball, because it is my firm belief that there is there is a lot of smoke, but but no fire here. And at the end of the day, this must come to a conclusion. What happens with the American left when they find out that that these Democrats who are some are taking to the floor of the the U.S. House of Representatives promising or calling for impeachment. Many of them are sending out fundraisers promising impeachment. Um, when it doesn't happen, when no criminality is discovered, what happens to the, the snowflake uh, uh, left in this country? What, what, what is the blowback on the Democrat Party? Well, look, the, the Democratic Party is going through a suicidal impulse. If you consider the fact that in the next election, congressional elections, you will have 10 seats, 10 Senate seats that are up for grabs that are presently held by Democrats, but states that Trump won. The Democrats are clearly vulnerable. And when you have a party that stands for nothing, it does not stand for any reform. It does not stand for any policy issue. You've got to ask the question, what is the Democratic Party all about except being against Trump? And so I think that there will be a lot of sensible Democrats in the United States asking, why be a member of this party? Now, it's true that the Republican Party has lost its way as well. And there are many questions to be raised about the Republican Party. But in my judgment, the Democratic Party is in far more trouble than the Republicans. Yeah, they got a, they got a heck of a lot more to lose in my estimation, too. Herb London, everybody, president of the London Center for Policy Research. It's always a pleasure catching up with you, sir. Always a pleasure to being with you, Chris. All the best. You do a terrific job, by the way. Good Thank luck. you, sir. Appreciate it. All right, more to come, folks. Be right back on The Blaze. He is a liberty-loving Latino conservative. Need we say more? The Chris Salcedo Show. Only on The Blaze Radio Network. Chris Salcedo show on the blaze radio network. All right. So I, uh, I get off the plane in Southern California and I, uh, because we were so late, we go right to the hotel and conk out. 
Next day was graduation day where I got to see my nephew graduate from college. Very well done. Very proud of him. And at the graduation ceremony, I take a picture. Now, mind you, this is Southern California. Southern California. And I see something. I go, no, that, that, can't, that can't be what I think it is. I'm looking down in the stadium where the San Diego, uh, the former San Diego Chargers, the L.A. Chargers will be playing. It's a soccer stadium. They're going to be playing there for the next three years, which is poetic justice. Don't get me started on the L.A. Chargers. Anyway, so I'm looking down. I, I go, oh, my gosh. That's a Mexican flag. Some of the students graduating from an American college, University of California system, thought it appropriate during the ceremony to fly a Mexican flag, a flag of oppression, of poverty, and of cronyism in my country. I was able to talk to my nephew afterwards and asked, uh, who were those Nimrods? <laughs> Which, uh, don't get me started, he said. So there is your California graduation. Your liberty-loving Latino here was on hand to look at this revolting display of left-wing extremism, love and devotion for a flag of oppression that is the Mexican flag that runs counter to our ideals of limited government right there at a California college graduation. Now, now while I was dealing with this crap, which is exactly what it is, when I was dealing with this stuff, the vice president of the United States, he was dealing with some stuff of his own. But where I didn't get any backup, I didn't stand up and say anything about this, but... Vice President Pence actually got back up. I'll tell you about that next. This is the Chris Salcedo Show. Part of the next generation of talk radio. This is the Blaze Radio Network. <laughs> 